Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Celentano, our business editor, and Sharp Smith, our technology editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. Our Q3 issue should be on the stands in December. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. So the first story this week, President Biden signed the uh, $1 trillion infrastructure bill into law with a big ceremony at the White House on Monday. $65 billion in there is government subsidies for broadband internet deployment. He said this law is going to make high-speed internet available everywhere. He also named a task force to implement the bill. And Mitch Landrew, former New Orleans mayor, is named the newly, uh, is named the infrastructure coordinator. And the president and CEO of WIA, Jonathan Adelstein, said in a statement after the signing ceremony, he was thrilled that the bill has been signed and that it that the broadband funding explicitly heeds WIA's call for technological flexibility. And that brings us to uh, and that brings us to you, John. We're doing Helios. <sighs> Thanks, Leslie. Um, yes, we've been we've been following developments in the tower industry, actually around the world. And um, a story we had uh, this week uh, reflects uh, uh, Helios Towers' growth uh, in response to the mobile network operator activity in in the various markets that Helios operates in Africa. Uh, the company showed financial and operational growth in, in both its established and newly acquired markets in sub-Saharan Africa uh, that do reflect the stepped-up activity among the MNOs in the region. The company currently has tower operations in Tanzania, Democratic Republic of Congo, Congo-Brazzaville, Ghana, South Africa, and Senegal. Uh, Helios Towers is moving into four new markets in Africa, Madagascar, Malawi, Gabon, and Chad, and Oman in the Middle East. The impetus for uh, these moves is, is that the uh, mobile network operators in these countries are monetizing most or all of their tower assets to help fund network expansion. Uh, these mobile operators are experiencing significant year-over-year -year growth as uh, they're adding new subscribers, uh, particularly on their 4G networks, which are still very viable in, in this part of the world, and are realizing double digits growth. And Helios Towers is riding that growth. Uh, it counts among its uh, uh, MNO tenants uh, Airtel, MTN, Tigo, Orange, Vodafone, and, and its Vodacom subsidiary in South Africa, Free, Viettel, and Afrocell. 
Uh, Tanzania and DRC are the company's two biggest markets and accounted for 78% of third quarter 21 revenues with the remainder from uh, Congo, B, Senegal, Ghana, and South Africa. Uh, operationally, Helios Tower sites increased by 1,543 on a year-over-year basis, 8,765 compared to 7,222 at the end of third quarter tw- uh, 2020. With the uh, additions of the acquisitions, uh, the five acquisitions uh, announced, uh, Helios Tower Count will expand to nearly 15,000 towers across the 11 markets once these deals close. And these include build-a-suit commitments on the par- as part of these transactions by the, um, uh, the um, uh, mobile network operators in these, in these markets. So uh, the company raised its guidance uh, for full year 2021 suggesting that uh, add an additional 1,000 to 1,500 tenants in the five markets and, um, and expects to, uh, uh, with, with the acquisition money, uh, expects to come in full, for full year 2021 with the capital expenditures around a billion dollars, uh, two thirds of which will uh, uh, be covering the tower acquisitions and the balance for organic growth upgrades and non-discretionary capex in existing markets. So um, lots happening in that uh, in these markets in Africa and where we're going to continue to follow these, Leslie. Thank you, John. And Sharp, you had a story about the digital iron curtain. Yes, thank you, Leslie. Uh, the story that, uh, that we wrote is uh, based on an article in the IEEE uh, spectrum publication, and it really confirmed a lot of what uh, we we've been seeing in the in the chip space. That there's been a lot of talk about supply chain uh, disruption in the chip industry, as well as really all industries uh, caused by the pandemic. Uh, but the interesting thing about the uh, the chip industry is that. Uh, the United States and China have looked at the supply chain issues and seen it as an opportunity to uh, uh, create separate supply chains uh, based on uh, the fact that the East and the West basically don't trust each other anymore. So the uh, basically the, uh, the, the article talks about uh, uh, the U.S. government is now committing uh, billions of dollars to bring uh, chip manufacturing uh, into the U.S. And uh, uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, our friends over in the East, uh, uh, Alibaba, uh, Huawei, uh, another company called Baidu, uh, they are, they are all figuring out. Uh, ways to design their own chips and uh, and what that how that impacts are the US com- uh, companies is that uh, really designing chips has always been our our purview uh, folks like Nvidia and others have uh, have really dominated the world in terms of of designing the chips so uh, potentially what we're going to end up with is, uh, is uh, Chinese companies designing and manufacturing their own chips and, uh, and U.S. companies uh, <clears throat> trying to, uh, to design 
and manufacture the chips. And uh, so uh, having separate supply chains uh, is maybe not, not such a bad thing. Um, but the, uh, another article that, uh, that, that we, uh, we covered that uh, has an interview with uh, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company Chairman Mark Liu, uh, he's, his company is uh, building a, a, a plant in Arizona. Uh, and he, he really talks about how the semiconductor industry is, is uh, it's building, uh, building chips is really, really difficult. And, and uh, if, you, if you read this article in, uh, in time, you'll see just how, just how uh, difficult it is just to make a single chip. And uh, uh, not to mention the, uh, the speed at which they, they, uh, they increase technologically every year. And, uh, and basically he gives, he, his warning is that even if, even if the US uh, does a perfect job of creating uh, the supply chain within, within our borders, uh, the, uh, all the manufacturing plants that are, that are in, in the works today are going to be uh, uh, two years behind by the time they're completed in 2024. And, uh, and two years in semiconductor time is like two decades in any other industry. Uh, so they'll, they will be behind. And uh, his suggestion is that instead of trying to create our own supply chain, that he suggests that, uh, that the U US government would be better served by putting all that money into system design, artificial intelligence, and quantum computing, and uh, trying to, uh, uh, to, to create the technology that's going to uh, really come of age in 2030 because he said really the Chinese and the Taiwanese, mostly the Taiwanese, have, uh, they've got the market covered, uh, the technology covered until uh, from here until the end of the decade. Interesting. Thank you, Sharp. So Sharp, I'm going to talk about the auction and then we're going to come back to you for the HAPS test story. Alrighty. So bidding ended Tuesday in the first phase of auction 110, an auction of licenses in the 3.45 to 3.55 gigahertz band. Bidding, gross bidding in the clock phase exceeded 21.8 billion, um, placing auction 10 among the highest grossing auctions in FCC history. Bidders won more than 4,000 of the 4,060 available generic blocks and gross proceeds surpassed the congressionally mandated reserve price, which was 14.7 billion. Um, that's to pay for the expected sharing and relocation costs for federal users now operating in the band. So winning bidders will now have the chance to bid for frequency specific licenses in the assignment phase. The FCC said it would announce more details soon. And Sharp, that brings us back to you for a story about the HAPS test. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, we, we've done a lot of uh, writing about uh, terrific advancements in, the, in LEO satellites and uh, technology that's gonna allow you to uh, uh, basically take your cell phone and uh, if, it, if it, uh, 
if it can't find a terrestrial tower to uh, to communicate with, it would uh, immediately just seamlessly go up to a, a low Earth orbit satellite and uh, and get a, a connection. And uh, uh, so that's been there's been a lot of movement in that area. And another concept that's sort of been out there is something uh, uh, called a high altitude platform station. HAPS uh, is the uh, uh, acronym of choice. Uh, it's been something that, that uh, with Project Loon sort of uh, has been floated, so to speak, no pun intended, but hasn't really caught on. But, uh, uh, but there's two companies that are trying uh, two different ways. One is with a solar powered airplane and uh, the other is with an airship. Looks like a big dirigible. And, uh, uh, and basically they're using, uh, they're putting these platforms in the stratosphere, which is closer than the LEO satellites and a lot easier to float up a plane, uh, uh, fly a plane or, uh, or, or float a balloon uh, or, or an airship than it is to you know, put up a constellation of uh, satellites. So it's much less expensive. Um, and, uh, and really the same, it's the same goal. It's, it's to provide coverage in, uh, in areas of the earth that, that do not have cell towers. And uh, so the one company, the name is Sky, S-C-I-E-Y-E, -E, Sky. They're, they're a material science uh, company, and, uh, uh, and, they, and they make this, uh, this, this airship. And, uh, uh, and it's unmanned, and they flew it up from... Uh, from their New Mexico facility. And uh, the, the antennas ride in a 500 foot long, 100 foot wide uh, airship, which is solar powered during the day and uh, battery powered at night. And, uh, and the other system that was, that was tested is, uh, uses a, uh, basically what we refer to as a, a drone, an uh, uncrewed, uh, uh, airplane, and uh, uh, it was sent up in August, and they just just now released the results. Uh, it was up there for about 16 days, and uh, uh, it's a joint venture between Airbus and NTT Docomo. And uh, once again, the, the it's called the Zephyr S, uh, and once again, it's solar powered, so you get the solar during the day, and then and then batteries at night. And uh, it's got a wingspan of 82 feet, and uh, and basically does uh, did the same thing that the airship does for 18 days. It provided uh, uh, communications to uh, to cell phones on the Earth, and uh, the uh, these are uh, these systems are already they're 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 gunning for 5G. They're operating two gigahertz and 450 megahertz. And uh, they're they're doing they're really they're doing they're they're also uh, providing uh, Internet of Things type of uh, of sensing. Uh, they're 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 looking at uh, air quality. They're looking at uh, greenhouse gases. Uh, they're even uh, uh, looking at sensors on the Earth for uh, crop conditions. So it's a uh, uh, it's really interesting, you know, that something's moving forward on this, and uh, 
it, uh, it seems to be uh, working. In fact, the FCC has taken note and uh, on November 2nd, it published a public notice in the Federal Register asking whether the 70, 80 or 90 megahertz uh, bands could be used by these stratospheric based platforms. And uh, comments are due on December 2nd and in uh, January 3rd. So it, um, there's some action in this and maybe, uh, maybe one of these systems is gonna take root. We'll have to see. Um, so that takes us to Little Hill where Jessica Rosenworcel had her nomination hearing before the Senate Commerce Committee. It was very cordial. She's a known entity to them. You know, back in the day, she was a staffer on the staff of Senators um, Inouye and Rockefeller. And then she was counsel, staff counsel for this committee. So, and she's been in the FCC for a while. What, what this is, is her confirmation hearing to, um, well, for her nomination hearing to confirm her for another five-year term. Um, and also so she can still be chairwoman. Uh, a lot since the since the president has signed the um, infrastructure bill, a lot of the discussion centered around broadband maps and when the FCC would get those fixed. Um, she didn't have an exact date. Uh, she said um, in an answer to Senator Wicker, um, she said for far too long the FCC's been working off maps that are not accurate. And that resulted in sending money to places that already had broadband in the past. So in August, the commission required carriers to provide the same coverage data in the same way to enable an apple to apples comparison where coverage exists and where it does not. They also have had to get outside contractors in to help them with software issues. Um, they're redoing their speed test map they're doing a whole uh, broadband availability fabric. There's a whole, um, many, many things have to fall into place. And she assured Wicker that the agency would get these maps out with haste. Several senators, including Brian Schatz of Hawaii, urged colleagues to send her confirmation to the floor for a vote, um, saying this is not the time to leave the agency leaderless. Now, her nomination hearing was very cordial. We'll have to see if Gigi Sohn's nomination is as cordial. I suspect it may not be. Uh, her hearing will be paired with Ellen Davidson to lead NTIA the week after Thanksgiving. And uh, after the FCC meeting this week, we had a chance to speak with Rosenworcel because she had her press conference afterwards. She had skipped it the last uh, before she had the hearing uh, in the last month. She talked a little about what's going on with the FAA and the C-band controversy. She said, I have every confidence in the work of the engineers, meaning FCC engineers, FAA engineers. She said discussions with the FAA are ongoing. She can't really, you know, she can't get into the details of those. But she did say she had confidence in their ability to resolve the issues. I asked her specifically about filters because the FAA said this week possibly that the radio altimeters could be fitted with some sort of filters to prevent 5G interference. She couldn't really speak to that because that get, I think that gets into the weeds for her. Um, 
And that brings us to John, you have a story on uh, IH Towers. IHS uh, Holding Company is another African tower company that uh, made a, a sizable acquisition recently. A South African-based IHS signed an agreement to acquire over 5,700 towers from mobile net telephone networks, or MTN, for $410 million. The MTN tower portfolio is also based in South Africa, where the company serves uh, as one of the, the country's uh, major carriers. Uh, IHS Towers will also provide power as a service to MTN uh, to approximately 12,800 sites across South Africa, uh, and that includes the acquired towers. Um, with this acquisition, as well as provisions for power as a service to the MTN portfolio, uh, the, this is expected to deliver revenues and adjusted EBITDA of approximately 220 million and 80 million respectively in the first full year of operations. And IHS said further growth is expected through a multi-year commitment for a portion of MTN's new towers. Uh, I, IHS claimed after the sale, it will own 70% of the South African tower business with the remaining uh, 30% owned by uh, an investor consortium. Uh, the company indicates that it's already in so-called advanced discussions with this investor group. Uh, in addition to its uh, portfolio in South Africa, IHS has more than 30,500 towers across uh, uh, three um, regions, uh, South America, Africa, and the Middle East. And uh, it's, uh, Leslie, it's a recently uh, um, uh, public uh, gone public and, um, and in doing so, we're able to get a lot more detail on its operations and its outlook. And so we're going to continue to follow this closely. It ties in with our earlier article on Helios in that there's movement uh, in the tower business in Africa, and we'll continue to follow that. Well, thank you, John. So getting back to the FCC, um, at their meeting on Thursday, they proposed enhanced competition incentives to encourage wireless companies to engage in secondary market transactions with tribes um, in small rural areas. And FCC Commissioner Jeffrey Stark said uh, it was really beyond time for the FCC to do this. They've been talking about it for 10 years, finally doing it. He described a, uh, a tribe in Nevada, the Shoshone. Um, he said the the Reservation is about 90 miles from the nearest interstate. It's served by a single cell tower. And he said residents have described needing to drive out of town simply to update their phones. A study in 2019 by the American Indian Policy Institute found that even though most tribal respondents relied on their smartphones to access the internet, more than a third had issues connecting. Um, and he said the GAO, the General Accountability Office, published a report three years ago recounting complaints by tribes about unsuccessful attempts to enter the secondary market transactions with wireless licensees because um, the fin potential financial benefits were outweighed by the potential costs. So Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel said, um, they are trying to fix that. And she said the new program will give better incentives to the wireless companies 
so specifically an existing wireless provider that uses its license to create new spectrum opportunities for smaller carriers and tribal nations, will see a gain and not just a loss for doing that. And they get rewarded with longer license terms, more flexible construction requirements, and more options for complying with FCC rules. The FCC will see comment on measures to enhance this program. And then that brings us to the last story of the week. The Labor Department's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, on Thursday suspended enforcement of the Biden administration's new rules ordering larger employers to either require that their workers get vaccinated against COVID or undergo weekly testing. OSHA posted the announcement on its website and said it remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies. It looks like smaller contractors, it looks like smaller tower contractors would be exempt because the rule was to have affected companies with more than 100 workers. We reported that Nate recently surveyed members on the issue and it said several member companies feared losing employees over such a mandate. The agency's decision to stop implementing and enforcing the new rule comes after a federal uh, after a federal appeals court on Friday reaffirmed an earlier, uh, basically a temporary stay to the administration's vaccine rule, and it ordered OSHA to stop enforcing or implementing the regulation. So the future of the government directive remains unclear. The case is headed to the Sixth Circuit Court in Ohio. Meanwhile, businesses are wondering what this means under the original plan. By December 5th, employers with more than 100 employees had to choose between whether their workers should get fully vaccinated or undergo weekly testing. By January 4th, those businesses must implement the rule. Um, a timeline that doesn't provide employers much leeway if the Sixth Circuit upholds the rule. Also on Thursday, James, uh, Representative James, a uh, Republican of Kentucky, introduced a bill that if passed would block Biden from requiring the employees of federal contractors to get vaccinated against COVID. Um, he said American workers should not be forced to get the jab to keep their job. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.